At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The CPI sell-off stocks fall sharply after the latest read on inflation comes in hotter than expected. We'll debate what it means for the record-setting rally. Joining me for the hour today... Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, Rob Seachin, and here in our global headquarters, Jim Laventhal. Let's check the markets here. We have been red all day long. Dow still down by more than 400 points. But really, it's that hotter than expected CPI, Jimmy. Now, the PPI takes greater significance. Now, you have to wonder about the PCE later this month and sort of trickle through to that. Does this change the Goldilocks narrative for bulls like yourself? It's not a good piece of news. I mean, let's start there. Obviously, it's not a good piece of news. It doesn't exactly throw us off the track of the uh, immaculate disinflation or the soft landing, whatever you want to call it. It's a bad data point. Uh, We've had a lot of other good data points. I I hesitate to explain it away, but let's do it anyway. We know about owner-equivalent rent. We know about auto insurance. And let's face it, the fact that electric vehicles cost more to repair when they're damaged is not something that the Fed can control by either hiking rates more or delaying cuts. So I I think the Fed knows that. They're looking at this and saying, this is not something that we can control. As far as the PCE goes, I mean, let's also remember that shelter is a lower uh, weight within the PCE, and and the PCE looks like it's solidly going to come in below 3%. So it doesn't throw me off track. It is a bad data point. Things don't move in a straight line. You take a step back once in a while. Unless, Steph, you know, the the whole, you know, or at least a good part of the rally is predicated on the fact that we were moving in a straight enough line, that we're heading towards trend enough that the Fed's going to cut soon enough. Now you got rates backing up, the 2 and the 10, uh, the highest since early and mid-December, respectively. So what does this do to the Goldilocks narrative? Uh, I'm not changing my thought of of a soft landing at all. And a lot of it is because we are seeing above trend economic growth out of about 3%. And it's not just the consumer that we talk about all the time, right? I mean, we know they're benefiting from jobs, wages, even sentiment is okay. But we're also starting to see ISM, the services have been strong, manufacturing, new orders are showing some sort of a bottoming. Private consumption is running up 11%, public consumption up 20%. You add it all up. We have better growth. Yeah, that's probably why we're seeing a little bit of stubborn, stickier inflation. But I'll take better growth and progress on inflation, especially from the peak levels any day. And the reason is because the earnings numbers are still coming in. Companies have pricing power. They have productivity. Inflation has come down for them as supply chains have been fixed. So I still feel pretty good about double digit earnings. And if I think we're going to do double digit earnings this year, I think these kinds of days are buying opportunities. So it's much ado about nothing, Josh. I mean, the, the bulls obviously had a nice flex going. D- does this this doesn't upset that mm-hmm. at all, either, you know, directionally for inflation. As I said, PPI now the pressure's on and PCE is where it really matters. That's what matters most to the Fed. 
And now you got rates backing up yet, yet again. So it depends on why you were bullish. And this is really key. And I don't think we've had this conversation yet. And maybe we should. There were two camps of bulls going into this year. One camp was the give me my seven weight cuts camp. Those people are, are, in my opinion, literally sniffing glue. I don't want any association with those bulls. Those are not, I don't claim that messaging. The other bull camp, which is where Stephanie and Jim are, and I think the rational bulls, are that, hey, actually, things are starting to get better. Earnings probably troughed. We have two consecutive quarters of not only rising earnings, but rising expectations. And we don't need seven weight cuts. That's not the premise of why you want to be invested in 2024. I'd prefer to be in, associated with those bulls. That latter group is not derailed by uh, one non-linearly uh, rising print of, of CPI. So I totally agree with what Stephanie and Jim said. If your, your main reason for wanting to be in stocks this year was because the Fed was going to have to ride to the rescue, A, I don't understand you. Um, you know, where, where have you been for the last three years? But B, uh, yeah, maybe that's going to be a problem because look at the probabilities of, of cuts now. We went into the year 92% chance of a, of a cut for, for this month, and uh, now we're at 19%. So that's like been completely washed out, uh, and I think it should be. And I think the number of cuts being priced in has been totally washed out, and that's mm -hmm. where it should be. Um, and if you're invested and bullish for the right reason, and it's not because you want Fed accommodation, I think you're fine. I really don't think that today requires an overreaction. I mean, Rob, I think that's good context that, that Josh puts on this. And let's be honest. I mean, the market was primed and is primed for some level of pullback. I mean, we have been, if you look at each of the major averages and you want to throw in the Russell, we've been at some pretty lofty round numbers lately, whether it's 5K, 2K in terms of the Russell, 16K in terms of the Nasdaq, and even 40K in terms of the Dow, which is not that, that far away. And sentiment, by the way, according to the Bank of America Global Fund Manager survey today, bullishness alone was at a two-year high. Most bullish in two years, long mag seven, the most crowded trade since October of 2022. So I think offsetting that has been incredible momentum. And so you have valuations extended, uh, you have sentiment extended, you have positioning extended, and yet you have momentum that's incredibly strong. And honestly, Josh is one of the best at playing some of these momentum names. But I think, you know, this morning's CPI print potentially puts the inflation side of the equation into question when you're talking about Goldilocks. And Goldilocks is defined as strong growth, low inflation, which if you have that, it allows multiples to stay at these levels or expand. Remember, inflation is good for earnings, but it raises questions on valuation. And the question that we have to ask ourselves right now, is the tighter Fed bad for valuations at a nearly 21 times forward PE? Yes, there's AI enthusiasm. Yes, there's been positive earnings revisions in some of the names that we all love. But does this tighter Fed put caps on valuations? And at worst, we're going to give back how far it's run. At best, we have these caps on valuations. And no one can look at this market and say it's cheap. How much is it related to the Fed? 
Now, offsetting that, Scott, is any correction we think is going to be short and shallow depending on how economic growth holds up. If it holds up, it's a buyable dip. If it's like 22, where it was weak, and there slashes the GDP, we're going down. So yeah, we think different. it holds up. But that's totally different, right? We think it right? holds up. There's no reason to believe it's going to be like 22. I mean, the Fed was in a whole different ballgame. The goalposts were in a completely different place. I mean, theoretically, that's, they're, that's they're, the, theoretically that's they're the moved best. substantially. And also, one number doesn't necessarily upset any kind of, of trend. Course. So let's, let's keep it all into perspective as well. Jimmy, I mentioned, you know, according to this fund manager survey, bullishness at a two-year high. That's not going to surprise anybody in terms of where we think sentiment is. Long Mag 7, the most, trouted, uh, the most crowded trade since October of 22. Just since, well, year-to-date, okay? Here's mega cap gains year-to-date. NVIDIA, 46%. Meta, 32%. Amazon, 13.5%. Microsoft, 10.5%. Alphabet, 5.5%. Apple's been the laggard in all this. Um, it, it, it's not healthy to see NVIDIA going up almost every day. And by the way, if you look at your screen today, and I, have, I happen to have mine in front of me, I've got red everywhere except, except NVIDIA. NVIDIA is 723. Now, it's not up that much, but it's green. On an otherwise, you know, nasty Short day, covering. you were waiting for this moment in some respects because when it was down earlier, like, yeah, I knew it was going to go down soon, and I'm going I'm <laughs> to trim it, which you did. You trimmed yeah, NVIDIA. I did. Talk to me. So trimmed it, 712, where is it now? 725, 723. I mean, that just goes figures. But uh, I'm very comfortable with the trim. I mean, any, any you know, percentage return that you're going to look at, whether it's year to date, whatever you set up, 50%, I'm up something like 60% in six months. Um, I'm not like Josh, who you have to give the nod to, up 1,800%. I mean, that's incredible. But at some point, this thing turns over, not because it's a bad company, but because it's just simply run out of buyers. It's, it's, it's overinflated, and I think we're reaching that point. I was waiting, as I said yesterday, for one distributive day, which this morning it looked like. Mm-hmm. So I trimmed it down to 1%. And I do think 1% is a position that, as I said to you yesterday, Scott, that if you're not in it, you can, you can buy to a 1% position and be prepared to add to it, as I will, on dips. And if the dips don't come, and, it, and I just have a 1% position that goes up another 200% this year, I'll be okay with it. Let me be clear. I'm holding two thoughts in my mind. It applies for NVIDIA as well as for the market. I think from here to year end, NVIDIA and the markets will have excellent returns. However, I think in the next month or two, mm. both are going to have a nice good old-fashioned correction. Think, if I'm I mean, wrong, I'm wrong. Today but, was the opportune day for the stock yeah. to pull back. If it was going to pull back, there may be a message in the fact that it is still green when every single other mega cap on my screen and in that group <laughs> is in the red. Price targets continue to go up. Target goes to 850 at UBS, target to 825 at Mizuho. And by the way, folks, it's not just we mentioned arm seemingly up, you know, 30% every day on a tiny float and maybe some other things going on there too, but the stock has been ridiculous of late. It's not just those, you know, AMD, you know, which Josh sold recently is up 74% since November 1st. Lamb up 51. I could go down the list here of other, you know, names in, in the headlights that we, we the, the spotlight that we bring up all the time. Broadcom's up near 50. Taiwan Semi up near 50. Marvell up near 50. Qualcomm, KLA, NXP are all up 38, 37, 35% respectively, which brings me to Stephanie Link because you trimmed both Lamb Research and Broadcom, two stocks that I know you love and you've been making the case I for do. for months. Why trim these today? I do. I- 
And I, and I do. I do like them very much, and they're still very big positions. But because of what you just said, with Lamb up 52% from its October low and Broadcom up about 51% from its October low, these, these positions, the sizes in my portfolio got to 5%, 6%. And that's a big weighting, especially for companies that have this much beta. And so to me, I love the stories, still think that wafer fab equipment is going to see, it's bottoming and we're gonna see a recovery and you need six times the memory for generative AI. So you wanna own memory makers. You could throw applied materials in there as well. Um, I love Broadcom, as you know, I think the AI story is underappreciated and it's not that expensive. But again, I think this is just portfolio, portfolio management 101, right sizing positions, never be afraid or sorry to take a gain. I might be wrong. These things might go up another 50%. I'm still there. I still like them. But I think it's a prudent thing to do to trim along the way. Rob, you want to comment on that? I mean, I'm looking at the you know, Bank of America equity client flow trends, the largest tech outflow since July. Nine of 11 sectors were sold, led by tech, the largest outflow, as we said, since July of 23. And that's also the third consecutive week that people have been, you know, big clients, um, taking money out of areas like technology. Is, is this now the thing? I mean, people on our show have consistently been doing this for the last many weeks. It's, it's certainly become a trend on this program. Yeah, I think it's tough because, you know, we're seeing a clear bifurcation in these top names. Um, those that have a combination of durable growth and oper operational efficiency have been able to do really, really well. The top five names that you mentioned, Microsoft, Meta, Amazon, NVIDIA and Google are 22 percent of the index and they've posted average Q4 EPS growth of over 50% and their margins expanded by more than 500 basis points. But here's what's more important. They've seen their EPS revisions of 7% plus in 24. And the rest of the market has had negative revisions, Scotts. They're also less sensitive to higher rates, which was why we continue to see this narrow performance. Um, if you look last year, these five names accounted for 100% of the S&P 500's 25% return. Absent these names, the market would have been down. Think about that. I mean, it's absolutely bananas. So you have these, these stocks that are doing tremendously well, not just from a price performance standpoint, but from a, from a fundamental standpoint. And I think when you have the Fed, maybe the Fed pulling the market back into where they were, you have to ask yourself, <clears throat> which of these names are exposed? And I think not all these are created equal. And it's why when you look at uh, you know the markets this year, you're seeing the average stock up 1%, but in some of our portfolios, we're up four. Well, why? Stock selection matters. And I think it's gonna continue. There's gonna be haves and have nots. Well, in terms of stocks going down from this group and the idea of where are the buyers? And, you know, Jim made the comment earlier that, you know, there are no buyers left for NVIDIA at, at, at this level. That's going to be hotly debated, of course, because as the stock was down, sellers. buyers are somewhere, right? Buyers are somewhere uh, because they came into that name. Stephanie Link looks at Apple being the biggest disappointment yeah. of the mega caps year to date, which is down 3%. It's lost $86 billion in market cap. It's, you know, nothing, uh, obviously. And you bought the dip in Apple. This is a new uh, buy yeah. the dip for you. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, I use some of the, the proceeds from uh, the semi-cap equipment and semiconductor space, what the two names I just sold, to, to add to Apple. Um, it's about half of the weighting right now in terms of my benchmark. So it's about three, 350 basis points. Um, the stock's down 7% from its highs. I thought the quarter was just fine. We talked about the quarter, them growing 16% in earnings and 26% in free cash flow. And this is a free cash flow story for sure. They have $173 billion of cash. And by the way, I do think typically this company does announce a new buyback program in the April quarter. So I think we're going to get that. And I think it's going to be another $90 billion. They certainly have plenty of cash to buy buy their stock. It's about 3% of the shares outstanding. And the valuation, it's not absolutely cheap at 28 times, but relative to its 10-year historical average at 36 times, I think I am getting a bargain for a company that has a great franchise. We all know the story. We know that iPhones and the iPhone 15 was not great. But if you throw in AI into iPhone 16, can you imagine what that <coughs> is going to do for the upgrade cycle? And I don't think that that's what people are talking about. They have a big meeting in June, WWDC, and where I I think they're going to announce their AI initiative, and I think that's going to get people all jazzed up. And what I was really most impressed by in last quarter is the services growth continues to grow double digits, and they're guiding for double digits. Mm -hmm. I thought those numbers would come down to single digits, and we're just not seeing it, Scott. So I like the story. I like the, the relative valuation. Maybe you're buying a little bit of what another committee member is selling uh, because we do have somebody who's taking profits in some of the biggest names in this market. Bill Baruch joins us now. Uh, via Skype to, to talk about this. So you've trimmed, thank you for coming on today, by the way. You've trimmed Apple, as I mentioned. You trimmed Amazon. That's an interesting one, too. Synopsis and Adobe. Talk to me. Yeah, starting with, with Apple, um, you know, listen, it, it's still a large position. All of these are still really are in our top five. And, and it just, this is prudent portfolio management. Apple struggled to get out above 190 from a technical basis. And so I want to step back a little bit here ahead of CPI and uh, just take, a, again, a more of a prudent path. Looking at Amazon, great, great response to earnings. The stock performed very well. It is still our number one holding. We trimmed both of these by about 10%. Just, again, a little prudent portfolio management. But going down the line here uh, to synopsis, uh, Cadence Design Systems reported after the bell yesterday, and they both are leaders in electronic design automation. So we're just taking a little bit of a cautious approach. Last time Cadence announced earnings in October, uh, they didn't they didn't really uh, perform very well after that, though they responded and, and traded better. We're just kind of seeing that today. Their guidance was soft, and Synopsys is down in sympathy uh, to that. Uh, looking down the road, Adobe still a big position of ours. They don't report until the middle of March. But uh, I, I still love the name, and I think there's about one billion in revenue from the uh, creative uh, cloud, uh, uh, AI, uh, the AI generative cloud that they have that could still be coming in there. That's not counted. I still love the name, but just trimming things here a little bit. You're not making any sort of. I know you call it, you know, quote unquote, prudent portfolio management, um, where others might say you're making a broader statement about, you know, queasiness, if you will, with what some of these stocks have done. You had trimmed some of the other mega caps in the past, and now you're moving on to the Amazons and the Apples of the world, too. Am, am I wrong when someone like Jonathan Krinsky is talking about conviction on the downside remains super high momentum areas, such as semi-software and mega tech in general? And that's a really good point. And so I think that you can't manage a portfolio all at once. And I think we've had a really great move. It's nice to monetize it, but when we look to uh, NVIDIA's earnings, uh, February 21st, I believe it is, 
you know, there is some seasonality that aligns with some weakness in the market in the back half of February. Now, I think everything is really being priced in here, right here, right now. Uh, NVIDIA, you know, I fear that when we go into earnings, we could see the market sort of level out for a bit and consolidate. Maybe that's already started here after today's CPI report. So that's really what I'm preparing for is sort of a leveling out trade that could last over the next couple of months, raising a bit of cash to give me some look for opportunities down the road, look for things that may have sold off already. Talked about Tesla last week. So I'm still out there looking for, for things to put this money in cash, too. I'm glad you remind us of the Tesla um, ad, too, as well. Uh, thanks for coming on, Bill Baruch. I appreciate you joining us. Look, the other thing to consider, which we really haven't considered all that much when it relates to these stocks, what if the AI hype isn't all that it's cracked up to be? Kind of gave it the benefit <laughs> of the doubt, didn't we? With all these stock moves based on something that for many of these companies has yet to be monetized. Interesting story today in the Wall Street Journal asking the question about Microsoft's co-pilot. Steve Kobach is here, uh, who obviously follows tech closer than anybody. So this was in the hands of testers for six months. And the bottom line seems to be, hey, it's good, but maybe it doesn't live up to the hype or the price. Exactly. And not just testers, Scott. It's also uh available to everyone now. So in November, they started selling it to just big businesses. And then just uh, in January, they opened it up to even more people, including regular consumers. You saw the Super Bowl commercial. That's the consumer version mm -hmm. of Copilot that they're trying to sell. But to your point, yes, this is really the best example we have of a monetizable AI product that you can go out there and buy that Microsoft can make money off of. And the journal points out it's all anecdotal, of course. Sure. And, and, you know, it's still got a ways to go and things like that. But things that this uh, product is supposed to do, it's not always doing it well. That's according to these you know, people they talk to who have been using it. One example that stuck out to me the most is when you're in a Teams chat, this co-pilot is supposed to listen in on your meeting and kind of summarize it. It hallucinated. It created a person named Bob who talked about uh, product strategy or something like that. That never happened in the meeting. I'm sure there are plenty more examples of things like that. We heard about hallucinations early on in this AI journey that we've been talking about. But to see it pop up in a work setting, that's what's raising alarms. But um, look, I mean, I did hear from Microsoft about this. I asked them, you know, what counter data do you have? Because they're not disclosing sales. They're just saying they expect revenue to grow from it. That's the official line. But they have some internal survey data from those early testers you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And uh, according to Microsoft, 70% <laughs> of the people who tested it early, that was last year, said it made them more productive. And about 77%, according to their data, say they don't want to give it up. Now, keep in mind, these are the people who got early access to it, not the so-called normal people. But, you know, there's different ways to look at it. And when it comes to some products, they are saying this is beta in some, in some cases. So, yes, problems are to be expected. But this, the optimism in part about um, the co-pilot is, is about the pricing. Exactly. 30 give, bucks per user per, per month. Per user. Now multiply that by 400 million users. There you go. Well, that's one of the reasons why the stock has gotten the premium that it's gotten. Right. And the, and the way that it's moved. I mean, you, you own Microsoft. The fact of the matter is the functionality is obviously going to be messy mm -hmm. for, a, for a, a, a good while. You would, you would think. Yeah, I, and I think the jury is going to be out for quite some time, Your Honor, uh, as to whether or not it is uh, worth the price or not. And we're not going to decide that today. Um, what I will How say... How about this? Is the stock worth the, worth th the price? That's exactly where I was going to go. So Steve can see this on my computer here. I've got two charts up, all right? One is the earnings multiple. That's the top one, Steve, over the last 15 years. The earnings multiple forward on uh, Microsoft has done this. 
over, particularly over the last five years. Well, what's the 10-year average but, on, like 24? Wait, wait, just, let, me, let me finish this, because the other chart is the price-to-earnings-to-growth ratio. Mm. So it's one thing to say that the multiple has expanded. It's another thing to say that it is or is not worth it. The price-to-earnings-to-growth, or PEG ratio, has stayed constant for the last 10 years. What that's telling you is that the premium is baking in earnings growth rate that darn well needs to come through. Now, again, we're not gonna, the verdict's not going to come out today. I don't like seeing something like this today, that there are questions about whether it's worth the price or not, because if it, is, if it turns out that people say, I'm not paying for it, then that multiple is going to come down. It's forward, a multiple right now is 32. Five years ago, it was 22. Uh, you just can't afford it, that multiple, to have growth rate and earnings disappoint. But you could say that about every single stock in the Absolutely. group, that the earnings growth Absolutely. rate is what justifies the uh, fact that the multiples yeah. in every case, well, not every case, but most cases here are above the, the historical average. It's a tautology, what you just said. And I think you're seeing, by the way, in some of the, like, take Tesla out of the group, which is obviously the laggard the last, you know, or at least a year to date. And what have you seen there? You've seen pricing come in. You've seen margins compress. You've seen earnings estimates come down. I, I'm not not being negative on Tesla, not for the purpose of this conversation, other than to say, if you have multiples like this and earnings growth disappoints, you're going to see multiples come down, period, end of story. When do we learn, last point, about actual orders? Do we get real numbers? They're no never going to report they're this, just, right? They're being very vague about it, saying it's gro- we're missing one point, though, and that's the other benefit of AI for Microsoft. That's an Azure cloud. Because of the relationship with OpenAI, any OpenAI customers that come onto that platform indirectly benefits Azure. We saw mm. Azure cloud growth reaccelerate in their last earnings report. So there's some optimism there if you're looking for where is that growth coming from. Potentially Azure, it benefits the cloud. All this AI stuff running on Microsoft's cloud is also beneficial. All right, good points. Thanks, Steve Kovac. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break. Up next, our chart of the day. JetBlue is soaring. Carl Icahn takes a new stake there. Call shares undervalued. Committee member Jenny Harrington owns it. She is calling in on it next. Plus, Stephanie Link has another move to tell you about. Give you that trade when the half comes back. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. All right, welcome back. Let's do our chart of the day. JetBlue is soaring today on news that Carl Icahn has taken a nearly 10% stake in that company. Calls the stock undervalued. 
JetBlue shareholder Jenny Harrington joins us now on the phone. So, Jenny, thank you for calling in. So now you got some backup in the name and some big backup at that. And Carl Icahn, what do you think? Well, remember two weeks ago when we were talking about this and it was trading around $5 a share. And I said, here's my investment thesis. They should be able to get to a dollar a share. You put an eight times multiple on that and you have an $8 a share stock. But but at $5 and change, my confidence is really rattled. So I am so grateful for Carl Icahn coming in and boosting my confidence that probably that is the right way to look at this. So I think he's looking at it the same way I am. And he's saying, look, four years ago in 2019, they had $8 billion of revenues and $568 million of profit. Today they have $10 billion of revenues, and they're expected to earn a little, sorry, to lose a little bit. What do they need to do to get to a dollar a share? It's not that hard. They have 330 million shares outstanding. All they need to do is earn $330 million profit. It's a dollar a share. To do that, they could cut costs by 2%. They could boost revenues by 2%. It doesn't seem like it's that big a challenge to get back to that dollar a share. My guess is Carl Icahn's going to be a lot more aggressive and try to get back to those 2019 levels. And then you say eight, 10 times multiple, and you have a stock that should be I don't know, between 8 and $16 a share. In any case, it's a lot higher than even today. But, I mean, some might suggest, look, you know, you, you, you didn't sound all that optimistic about it the last time that we spoke. <laughs> and, and you just got an icon gift. He just yeah, gave you a 15% pop in the stock as a way to get out. But well, you're not doing that. No, I think I wasn't that optimistic because my confidence was getting rattled. And it's, it's hard, you know, and I think this is where it's just hard to be an investor when you're so challenged and, and you're sitting there saying like, I'm doing the math. This is my investment thesis. My investment thesis from today, you know, my original investment thesis was wrong. My investment thesis from today when it was at $5 a share is getting to a dollar, you know, a dollar of earnings, putting an eight times multiple on it. But when the market's screaming at you that it looks like you're wrong, it is hard to keep a stiff spine. Um, so I really just appreciate the boost of confidence, but also it's what I like about being a fundamental analyst is that you can go to the math. And even when the market's screaming in your face and trying to tell you you're wrong, the math frequently tells you, no, you're not wrong. And that's what we did. We, that's why we didn't sell it two weeks ago. And we didn't sell it before that because we, we kept saying, okay, it just can't be that hard, particularly with spirit out of the way, particularly with management not wasting money on legal fees and distractions from all of that. You know, they should be able to get back to at least a dollar, hopefully pre-pandemic, dollar ninety. Sounds like, I mean, you, you want him to make as much noise as possible, get, get totally. on the board potentially? Yeah, just shake up management and say, you know, give the investors a plan. And this is what we talked about two weeks too, uh, two weeks ago, too, is that management should come out. And they should come out within the next few months and be like, all right, spirit distractions out of the way. Here is the plan to returning to, like, really profitable business. It just shouldn't be that hard. Jenny, I appreciate you calling in. I had to hear Thanks from you today. Me. All right, take care, Jenny Harrington. Let's hit some other committee stocks on the move. Cadence Design Systems. Take a look at the stock today. It was reiterated to buy today. Bank of America price target to three thirty from three fifteen. Rob, you own this. Yes, yeah, Scott. It was down eight percent last night on the, on the back of weaker guidance. It's already worked some of its way back. But let's not confuse ourselves. This was a solid Q four result. 20% revenue growth, 40% EP, EPS growth. Its order backlog rose by 10%. They did have some weaker guidance because of China. But you have a stock that's had an incredible run. But long term, this is a leader in a secular growth industry. Semi-software is crucial to continuing the development of advanced chips. So we still like it. Steph, you want to give me something quick on Zoetis, ZTS, which was down about 4.5% before. We can take a look at it now. May have... Uh 
it may have moved a, lit, a little bit since I last saw it uh, after their earnings. It always gives me a headache around earnings. It's just volatile at 32 times forward. But total revenue, companion animal, that's all I care about. Growth, 10 percent. And the, and the guidance for revenues is 9 percent for the full year. I think the, uh, the rest of the uh, earnings miss was non-operational and noise. All right. Uh, let's get the headlines now with Kate Rogers. Hi, Kate. Hi, Scott. Officials from the U.S., Egypt, Israel and Qatar will meet in Cairo today to work on a truce in Gaza. This comes as Israel has been pressured to hold off on its planned assault in the city of Rafah. Over a million people have fled to the city from other areas in Gaza, while Egypt has made it clear it will not accept any refugees over the border. Estonia's prime minister is on a wanted list in Russia for removing Soviet-era World War II monuments in the country. An independent Russian news outlet first reported names on the list, and it includes other Baltic officials and lawmakers as they pull down monuments from Soviet occupation. And the CDC is expected to ease COVID-19 isolation guidelines this spring that people won't need to isolate once they've been fever-free for 24 hours and if their symptoms are mild or improving. That's a According to the Washington Post, saying that easing up on isolation rules wouldn't impact transmission, partly because of the very high viral circulation. Scott, back over to you. All right, Kate, appreciate that very much. Kate Rogers. Coming up, more committee moves. Stephanie Link adding a big retailer ahead of earnings next week. We will reveal it next. Now is the time to bring new ideas to your industry. And T-Mobile for Business has the advanced 5G solutions to make that happen. We're helping rethink patient-doctor interactions with real-time data sharing. We're tracking carbon with 5G sensors to help fight climate change. We're partnering with cities to connect roadways, cars, and drivers to minimize injuries. Disruptive thinking deserves a disruptive partner. So let's get started on what's next for your business. Step up your innovation at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, we're back. Stephanie Link's been busy lately and now has another name she's buying. It's Home Depot, HD. Yes. Steph, why? Yeah, Yeah. well, you know that housing is one of my favorite themes for this year. Um, we are 5 million homes short in this country. We have many millennials starting to buy homes, 5 million to be exact. And we also have interest rates eventually that are going to come down. 30-year fixed has also come down. Um, and you're seeing mortgage applications actually go higher. Um, these guys are the number one player in the industry. It's been a big laggard over the last year. It's up only about 12, 13 percent. Uh, and I, I just think for this kind of caliber company with improvement in housing expected, maybe it's not this quarter, Scott. Maybe it's in the second half of this year, but I think it's going to come. And these guys have four, have had the last four quarters of negative same store sales. So that all of a sudden you get easy comparisons as well. In the meantime, they've done a very good job in terms of profitability, lowering inventory using technology for out of stocks. And so I do think that they will be able to deliver good results. Not great next week, but I do think as we progress through the year, you will see a recovery in the earnings and in the stock price. All right, now UBS positive on it today, um, yet again as well. We do have more calls of the day. You know, Rob Seachin, I look at Eli Lilly, and it not, it's not an ARM, and it's not an NVIDIA, but if you look at the chart lately, it sure as heck feels like one because the stock has been going up a lot 
The target gets raised to 853 at Jeffries, reiterated by I, the, the optimism around GLP-1 is second only to AI for other companies. What about this stock here? You know, we continue to own it, Scott. We, it's been a final trade for us on this show a lot. We've talked about it a lot on the show. Uh, revenues were up 28%. Earnings were up 19%. They continue to raise guidance. Margins expand. The drugs, the GLP-1 drugs that you talked about, are off the charts. And, and one year after these drugs now account for 30% of total revenue, and they're growing at 600% year on year. I mean, it's expensive. It trades at a very significant multiple. But the the story in the market right now is momentum, and this stock's got a lot of momentum, so we're going to continue to ride that. It's funny because you, you, you don't own NVIDIA, and you kind of, I think you take issue at the way that that stock is traded, but everything you just said just now, if you said it about NVIDIA, I'd say, okay, that sounds reasonable. Optimism around AI, you build the case for why the stock continues to go up. But no, you did it with Lilly. How do you justify the valuation here, but you can't justify it with something like NVIDIA? A few things. Number one, we feel like we missed that one uh, a right. little bit. I appreciate Obviously, the honesty. Maybe that's number one, two, and three. Maybe that's number one through ten. It's it's not one, two, and three though. It's not. You have revenues growing there at sixty percent this year, but slowing to seventeen percent in twenty-five. It trades at thirty-five times. I know that's lower than where Lily is, but a nineteen times forward price to sale. And when you get to those levels, the odds of outperforming the market on a forward basis go down to less than 10%. Currently, they have a 75% market share of the data centers. Their top four customers are Meta, Amazon, Google, and Microsoft. That's 40% of their sales, and each one of them is developing an in-house chip. And you also have AMD looking to grab market share as well. It's gonna take time, but long term, we think it's tough justifying NVIDIA at 19 times. And you know what it reminds me of, Scott? It reminds me of Cisco in 99. Well, what, okay? is, what does Lilly so, remind you of? What is, I mean, you, you're telling me that not, not most of the GLP-1 stuff is in this stock, not to mention competition from other, other providers? No question, but we've owned it the whole way, and we have clients that have huge embedded gains in it. I'm sure that everybody that's riding NVIDIA, and trust me, it's not like we don't get SHIT for not owning NVIDIA from our clients, but we've, we've performed well in some of the other names we own. This is an exercise in portfolio management. I hear you. Okay. See, you didn't know you'd be talking about that on this, in this case, but I, I, I did. <laughs> You like how I did that. All right, coming up, we have the trades on more key earnings this week, including Shake Shack and Toast, Josh, and both of those names. We get to set up next. But first, Mike Santoli with his midday word is next. Thirty-one percent of Russell 1000 companies conduct race or ethnicity-based pay analysis, according to Just Capital. This type of analysis is done to manage equal pay for equal work. Celebrating Black Heritage, I'm Sharon Epperson. All right, welcome back. Let's get to the New York Stock Exchange. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli has his midday word today. I mean, we knew we were due for something. The, the question is, is this upsetting the narrative too much? 
for the Bulls? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to pay attention to it. I don't think it really, um, at the core, uh, no pun intended, really upsets the overall narrative of a pretty sturdy economy and inflation, at least, going in the right direction. Uh, but I do think the setup was very important in this case, which is uh, an overbought market into a weak seasonal period. Yesterday around the close, I was pointing out all the landmark levels that the market hit and then didn't quite hold, right? NASDAQ 100 at 18,000, uh, 16,000 on the NASDAQ composite, 50,000 on Bitcoin. You got the 5,050 on the S&P 500 and a lot of pockets of froth picking up. That was the other theme uh, that I think you could have said, fine, time for some excuse for a gut check. And the 10 year going above four and a quarter is a decent excuse. Mm -hmm. So I'm focused on it. I don't think you can say now we're, we're very much in a routine pullback mode right now. But 90 percent of volume on the New York Stock Exchange is to the downside. And unlike yesterday, you don't have the perfect rotational choreography working because the Russell's underperforming. When you see uh, nearly everything on your screen and my screen in the red and then NVIDIA turns around and is green, what do you take from that? Yeah, I mean, it's a hell of a drug is what I take from it. Um, you did have a couple of price target increases there. That kind of Muscle memory is not just going to be uh, eliminated in one day. And so, I, I mean, there's a combination of a very strong trend and the fact that we have a daily video game. That is, we trade $40 billion worth of NVIDIA, whether we need to or not, every day. And so a lot of that, I don't know how to separate them all out with a massively positive fundamental story. Uh, who wants to be short ahead of, you know, earnings in a week and all the rest of it? Yeah, good points. I'll see you on Closing Bell. Mike, thank you. That's Mike Santoli. Coming up, the setup on more key earnings, which are still ahead this week. We'll do it next. All right, we're back with some earnings to set up for you. All right, Josh, Shake Shack. Thursday before the bell, toast Thursday after the bell. Bookend those for me. All right, so that'll be a fun day. That'll be a fun day for me. Let's mm -hmm. go backwards. Uh, toast is a really, I think, a really interesting situation. Um, th this has been a tough stock. It got absolutely murdered the last time they reported in November. But then if you look at a chart, it fought all the way back. It got back into the 20s. So actually, it has no decline since that earnings report, which is incredible. And I think the reason is this is small cap tech. Like this is as and, and it's pre-profitable small cap tech. So this is as tough as it gets. And that's why my position size here is small. And I'm just gradually learning the company with every report. I think the opportunity here is huge. But the bears uh, have made the point that they haven't proven that they can get to sustained profitability, even though they've grown the number of restaurants and companies using their software and their cloud solutions very quickly. Mm -hmm. So the jury's still out. This is a heavily shorted stock, which means if they can uh, outperform what's expected, you could get a really outsized move to the upside. So in both directions, I think the possibility for fireworks are there. Okay, give me, on some, Shaq, give me quick I feel on Shaq. a little bit more... Yeah, I feel a little bit more confident on Shaq. Mm -hmm. uh, they have just been having one great earnings report after another. I think they really hit their stride. Uh, new, new management, too. So I'm, I'm much more confident going into that number. All right. Uh, Jimmy, what about you and Cisco Wednesday after the bell? 
Yeah, there's some risks here, Scott. And, you know, it was last week I was on the show with you and you pointed out you broke the news that they're laying off a lot of people. Look, I think the problem here is that NVIDIA is sucking up a lot of CapEx budgets in IT land. How much is left over for Cisco is the question. Now, the fact that they're laying off a lot of people doesn't exactly sound that good. But last week also, and we talked about this, they announced a partnership with NVIDIA. I don't know if that's vaporware or something that can really drive the needle. So, that, that's actually what I'm looking to hear more about in the earnings call next, uh, tomorrow. Real quick, dear, Thursday before the bell. Which yeah. You so, you know, this is a case of the multiple has come down, down, down. Five years ago, the multiple was 20. Three years ago, the multiple was 18. Now it's 13. This is the market's way of saying we don't see growth ahead for deer. Frankly, I think the setup is, is way too harsh. I think it would be easy for them to outperform on earnings expectations and get that multiple up. All right. Quick break. Finals are next. I'm going to see you at 3 o'clock Eastern today, of course, on Closing Bell, along with Liz Young, Rich Saperstein, Lauren Goodwin. So track the market. Dow right now down, as you see, more than 500 points. Hotter than expected CPI, the culprit today. Josh, what's your final trade? Amazon. Stephanie Link. Quanta Services, $30 billion backlog, $1 billion of free cash flow per year. All righty. Rob Seachin, what do you have for us today? O'Reilly Automotive down 5% last week. It, it shines in volatile markets, and people have old cars they need to fix. <laughs> yeah, hey, that Jimmy's been talking about that. What, <laughs> speaking of, what's your final trade? Uh, Qualcomm. I know we've got Quanta Services up there. It's actually Qualcomm, so there was a little miscommunication there. All right. But I think the narrative's changed here. It's not just the mobile phone market bottoming. It's Internet of Things and automotive propelling them further. You like Quanta Services? I actually do, by the way. So put a pin in that. We'll come I back like to it. that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there you go, Steph. All right, as I said uh, we're red across the board dow's down by more than 500 we'll see as i track you through the final hour of trade it does it for us the exchange is next you've been listening to cnbc's halftime report the podcast you can always catch us live weekdays at 12 eastern only on cnbc all opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com.